Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. This is the 19th Tea Podcast, Kieran Marsh. Nathan Drudy back with you for another week. Drewster, we have another first-time winner on the PGA Tour. South Korea's KH Lee gets the job done by three shots over Sam Burns, the AT&T, Byron Nelson. Yeah, uh, another very low-scoring week on the PGA Tour. We've become accustomed to it of late. Uh, but a little bit of golf happening around the world. I mean, it hasn't been the biggest week in golf news, but fantastic to see KH Lee get it done. He's been uh, playing some nice golf over the past sort of 12 months, a little bit up and down, but nice to see him get the job done by, by three strokes today. As we do at the top of each and every episode, we will uh, raise a stub to our weekly winner, KH Lee. Thanks to our good friends at Gage Roads Brewing Company, WA's premier craft brewery, uh, named after the strip of ocean between Rottnest and Frio. Uh, Droodster, I am, I'm having a single fin tonight in honour of KH Lee. I've gone pipe dreams. I mean, it doesn't strike me as sort of a uh, beer drinker at all, um, but <laughs> pipe dreams is maybe the one that I thought might be aligned to. To KH Lee. But, um, Look, it wasn't. Yeah, oh, 100%. There's never a bad beer that comes out of the good uh, good team at Gage Roads and fantastic supporters of this podcast. So we thank them for their ongoing companionship. Uh, KH Lee, Drew, the, the first of his career, the eighth South Korean now to win on the PGA Tour. We've seen the emergence and the sheer depth and strength of South Korean women on the LPGA Tour. And I think hot off the heels of Hideki Matsuyama's win at the Masters, seeing another Asian win on tour is fantastic for the growth of the game. You could see that in his post-round interview. I thought it was uh, awesome how he, he, he stuck to uh, the English. I know that we pumped up Hideki Matsuyama's tyres for speaking Japanese in the, in the Butler cabin, and that was fantastic as well. But you could see how much it meant to him that he ploughed through. And he had the translator there, only used him once with Amanda Balionis in the post-round with CBS. And... I just think it's another one of those moments for the growth of the game where the, you know, the tens of thousands of, of young kids in South Korea who see KH Lee go on and win today, what that does for the next generation is uh, well, it's, it's hard to put a price on it. Yeah, well, I think we, we – I know we've spoken about it previously about how hard it is for, for people to get up and talk without a translator, but I, I don't think people actually understand how difficult that is. Like I, I know that you know, KH Lee would have grown up learning English. There would have been no doubt. But it's certainly not his first language. I grew up, you know, um, from an Italian household and and uh, picking up some odd words from my grandparents and and my mum and my mum and dad. But I would never have the confidence to be able to go out and and speak Italian. Like it's absolutely phenomenal. The the just the cojones to get out and um, you know he's just come off very emotional and he, and he steps out in front of millions of people watching, uh, particularly back in his home country. Um, and gets up and, and speaks bloody good English. So um, I think that's worth just shouting out first and foremost. Um, that, that was more impressive than the golf. Really. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, Drewster. And I think it's the juxtaposition. You see all the Americans who, you know, back when the the Asian swing of tournaments was actually played in Asia pre-COVID, whether it was the Zozo or the CJ Cup, you had an American win. They get up there and speak English in the post round and didn't give it a second thought. So for, for KH Lee to um, be so determined uh, to 
to have a conversation with Amanda Balionis post round in English. Uh, it was a really, I think it was a really touching moment. To be fair, it was kind of a touching few minutes post round because I don't know if you caught this as well, but uh, KJ Choi hung around uh, for the end of the tournament, who in fact was KH Lee's boyhood idol growing up in South Korea. Um, as I imagine he probably is for the likes of Ben Arn and Sung Jim as well. He kind of was that pioneering South Korean male golfer was KJ Choi on the PGA Tour. And he actually hung around Greenside on the 18th there. And there was a big embrace between himself and KH Lee. And KH Lee was actually quite emotional. And I imagine it would be, you know, the same sort of deal of a lot of the American players who have looked up to Tiger or or the like and, and having that embrace post-round. Uh, it would have been a really nice moment for KH Lee and to kind of come off the back of that and embrace his wife who they're expecting their first child in the next couple of months and then to go straight into an interview and do it in English uh, was was awesome. It was just a really really nice few minutes there post uh, you know post capping off the victory. Yes, bit in that isn't there? Okay, so there's almost a path passing of the baton, a little mm. sort of spiritual um, spiritual passing in the embrace between KJ Choi and KH Lee, handing the mantle over. I think so. I think Sungjae might still be ahead of him, but <laughs> it's yeah, worth, uh, worth worth shouting out. And not to not to forget Siwoo Kim, who's probably also ahead of KH Lee, and poor old Benny Ahn has almost forgotten in that conversation. So uh, the depth in South Korean uh, male golf uh, just as good uh, as it is in in the female golf. Both of those teams will be oh, incredibly tough to beat at the upcoming Olympics, you would imagine, won't they? Uh, but yeah, just an impressive effort all the same. We kind of gloss over. We've got caught up in what happened post round. We gloss over the golf for Sunday sixty six. Drudes um, wasn't the low round of the day. Uh, Patton Kazai back in T3 was 63 and Daniel Berger in T3 also was 64. So a lot of low rounds hit, which is impressive all the same in in the inclement weather. But KH Lee entered the day, um, you know, grouped in that big bunch that were tied for second chasing Sam Burns and an incredibly impressive opening nine holes today uh, was really what sealed the deal. I'm looking at it here uh, and he had... One, two, three, four, five birdies with a bogey. Um, so four under through the front nine is really what took the tournament away from the field before the the two and a half hour rain delay. Yeah, just I mean the resilience. I mean, and that's the that's what it's I think separates a lot of these guys who who win and and don't get over the line is that resilience. I mean, the, the conditions. Sorry, just taking a side note, the conditions were atrocious today, weren't they? I yes. mean, to, to, see, to see the ground staff out there with squeegees, literally squeegeeing the greens was, you know, you don't see that very often, but for, for KH Lee and a couple of others to, to, I guess, have that, um, the resilience to really come out um, after the delay and, and face with some horrible conditions, um, continue playing good golf. I think that was um, really, really impressive. And, and obviously, as you mentioned, shout out to, to Patton Kazire and, and Daniel Berger had a you know really nice round of eight under today as well. Some some good scores on offer. But I mean, I must admit, uh, seeing a, a final scoreline of 25 under um, and 22 under isn't, isn't the most interesting of uh, golf to watch. I mean, the conditions were actually quite, I actually quite enjoyed, <laughs> enjoyed when the rain and the wind started uh, picking up a little bit, added a little bit more interest to it. But yeah, all, all props to Cage Lee for, for uh, showing that bit of resilience and grit and really getting the, the job done today. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't want to feel like we're trying to overstate or be hyperbolic about the, the weather, but it was like, it was, it was inclement, like two, two and a half hour delay. And you know all the momentum was with KH Lee off the off the back of that front nine, as I mentioned. So 
to have, you know, a pin put in that, so to speak, for, you know, the best part of three hours to go out and, and finish the job. And and we're talking about like flooded fairways. You said they were squeegee and greens and, and people might have in their mind like they squeegee a tennis court or the like before players come back out. They were doing it through rounds. I don't know if you saw the photo today. Charles Schwartzel, uh, who ended up finishing in a tie for third, he was lining up a putt and he had green stuff squeegeeing water through his line. Like it was that bad. It was like and playing on, on sand greens out in country WA. Phenomenal. I, I think to your point, the ability to, uh, I suppose, have the mental aptitude to switch back on after that break and probably also um, the mental aptitude to give yourself that break because it could, could have quite easily stayed on for that two mm. and a half hours and sent yourself crazy. So a big effort by KH Lee to, to round out his first PGA Tour victory. As you mentioned, Drew, he's had a fairly uh, fairly decent year, a little bit inconsistent, uh, yeah. a tie for second at the Waste Management Phoenix Open, tie for 19th at the uh, Sony Open in Hawaii. These other two best finishes of uh, the year. He's won $2.5 million this year. Mind you, walked away with one and a half uh, just from today's effort alone. So that, that bank balance has been given a nice uh, little push. But mm. he uh, he's certainly building. Uh, I mean, I don't feel like – I know there was a question in there that we got, uh, what's the KH Lee story? We, we did address it a little bit when he kind of popped up and finished in a tie for second at, at Phoenix and neither of us had ever heard of KH Lee. And we, we did a little bit of a, a dig there and, and unearthed some pretty funky facts from memory truths. Mm. You might remember those off the top of your head. Yeah, he, he's an interesting fella. Great backstory. Uh, graduated high school in Seoul in 2010, attended the Korean Sports University uh, the same, the same university as Sung J M. I would encourage people uh, once they have the opportunity to actually Google the Korean Sports University. Quite, quite phenomenal. Uh, if he was not a professional golfer, he'd be a singer. This might be starting to um, ring a few bells with some people. He took lessons in South Korea. Really considered a career in that profession. He's shy in, in, when he sings in front of others, but has a very good voice and enjoys listening to rock music. His special interests include singing karaoke. He was a shot put athlete before taking up golf at the age of 13, started playing the game to lose weight, but ended up falling in love. His motto is a rolling stone gathers no moss. And his bucket list item is a tour around the world and riding a motorcycle. So an interesting character with a few, with a few random interests in there, but uh, I think um, K-pop and, and karaoke, uh, very popular in, in South Korea. So uh, unsurprising to see, that that's his special interest and uh, very surprised to see that he would be a uh, professional singer because I reckon he would be the only one on the PGA Tour who would have those two sort of uh, interests lined up, I'd suggest. K-pop's loss is, is golf's gain, no doubt. Drew's in terms of his golf, uh, a couple of years on the web.com tour, which is now the Corn Ferry Tour. His best finish uh, was fifth in that tour in 2017 where he earned his card. Pardon me, on the PGA Tour, and has not looked back uh, since. Also, uh, funnily enough, what we often talk about with these South Korean players, be it uh, Siwoo Kim, be it Sung Jae-im, be it Benny Ahn, uh, does he have the threat of um, compulsory military service hanging over his head? I believe not. No. I believe KH Lee, in fact, won a gold medal at the Asian Games a yep. few years ago, which uh, sees him exempt which is bizarre, isn't it? Isn't national it? service. I thought that was a little bizarre. That that's that's what gets you out of it. Well, I think it's. Uh, I mean, 
I'm, I'm reticent to, to put this on the record because I've got absolutely no it. way of confirming it, but I'm Please pretty it. sure it's either a major, like I think they'd have to win a major in order not to uh, be called up for service or uh, an Olympic gold. So should uh, Siwoo or Sungjae or um, Benian uh, secure gold in Tokyo, they too will be exempt. But I do believe that the Asian Games is held in uh, quite high esteem okay. by South Korea and more broadly okay. the Asian region. So gold there for KH Lee has seen him exempt from national duty. Okay. Wasn't aware that that's how uh, highly regarded the Asian Games was because that was sort of my point. Was haven't, haven't comparatively heard, haven't yeah. really heard a lot about the Asian Games. No, but it's a big deal. It's a big deal in Asia. Okay, uh, much like the Asian Cup. You know, we used to take that pretty seriously. The Socceroos seems to have gone off the boil a little of late, but because we suck. Yeah, I do remember when we won the Asian Cup it was enormous. Uh, it was. It was when we were weren't playing three defenders at the back like we're fucking Barcelona. Yeah. Uh, that's all right. Obviously. Pod, pod for another time. Pod for another time. So a, a great win from KH. Do we have any other questions regarding KH Lee, Dresa? Nope. Okay. We had one there which we we thought might have been about KH Lee from um, most recent guest on the podcast, Cameron Boyce, was a what's in the bag. General question, vague question. Boyce, we've chosen to take that as what's in our bag uh, as opposed to what's in KH's. Uh, and rest assured, it's actually been on the – on the planning board for a little while, a little what's in the bag episode for yourself and myself, Teresa. So still to come. Yes. yes. Uh, and it might be one, one for, for soon actually, because I don't think I've told you this, but I've actually got a new addition adding into the bag very soon. Oofty. Well. Really? So we'll, we'll chat offline about that. Yeah. Hold it. Uh, <laughs> hashtag content, put it on the board. Sam Burns, Drewster, as I said, entered the uh, final round in the lead. Uh, he had, this sounds wild. He had a disappointing 70 uh, today to mm. limp into an outright second uh, position. But shit me timbers, Thursday, Friday, 65-62 um, to put himself in a comfortable 36-hole lead. Stumbled across this stat, Drewster. I, I know that we flagged it um, when we were talking in his most recent victory about his phenomenal, uh, the phenomenal way in which he was um, building up 36 and 54-hole leads. So he led, as I said, um, by two uh, following the second round, his fifth 36-hole lead of this season alone. The next closest uh, is a group of five, Justin Thomas, Victor Hovland, Xander Shawfly, Harris English, and Keegan Bradley, uh, each of whom only have two. So Sam Burns, really, his problem seems to be converting because he's putting himself in an awful lot of good positions. Yeah, well, I mean... It's, isn't it funny how we talk about, oh, geez, it was a disappointing 70 today mm. when uh, his last two weeks he's finished first and, and second outright. Um, but, yeah, uh, look, it's a, it's a um, I think the, the conversion is it's very, very hard to win a golf tournament, isn't it? I mean, and you Incredibly. put yourself in the best best spot you can after 36, 54 holes. And, uh, you know, sometimes it comes down to the canasters that you've got on Sunday. And, um, unfortunately for Sam, it didn't. Didn't go his way today. I mean, look, as we've discussed, torrential weather conditions, pretty, um, you know, no doubt playing a, a pretty significant factor across the tournament um, and, and not necessarily making an, an excuse for Sam Burns, but uh, there, there might be some of the uh, reason behind it. But nonetheless, I mean, he's going into uh, a, a major week as, you know, the, the player in the best form on the PGA Tour. Uh, I mean, if you finish first and second, you, you get the number one rank um, and, and rightly so. But it's um, 
yeah, I'm not sure how well he'll go. He'll go out at Kiowa, but uh, yeah, playing another nice, nice four rounds of golf to finish uh, three shots behind KH Lee. Group of four, uh, a tied for third. Patton Kazar, as we mentioned, the low round 63 of the day. Daniel Berger, uh, Daniel Berger's best finish in quite some time. Drewster, um finished off with a 64 on Sunday. Scott Stallings, a Sunday 66. And Charles Schwartzel, uh, incredible. We haven't seen Charles figure at the business end of a tournament for quite some time. He finished with a Sunday 68, all four of those players. Tied for third at 21 under. Anyone jump out at you in that group? No, not really. I mean, Daniel Burke, I mean, Pat Kazar obviously jumps out at a nine under 63 on a Sunday. I mean, that's um, yeah, rough. Rough. He probably should have uh, should have won the tournament if he if he didn't um, have a have an over par round on Saturday. But Daniel Berger, I mean, comes in with some nice form now into a major. I mean, he's he's a guy that I I do worry about uh, at times. Is Daniel Berger? He he seems to well, he does fly under the radar um, of, of everyone. He doesn't get the attention that a lot of um, other players get. Uh, but he's immensely, immensely talented. I think he would certainly be in the discussion um, for a Ryder Cup spot later this year. He should certainly be in the discussion for a um, for, for this week at Kiowa. But uh, yeah, it'll be be very interesting to see how he goes. He's been a little bit up and down um, of late. I mean, there's been some a little bit of consistency earlier. I mean, one that the Pebble Beach Pro Am, which we all know our thoughts and, and T9 and the players and T3 this week, but a few miscuts in there. I was going to give you a quiz um, on some of these, on on these four players, because this this baffles me as to uh, some of this uh, the stats that I'm seeing here. So we had Patton Kazire, Daniel Berger, Scott Scott Stallings, and Charles Schwartzel finishing at T3. Can you put them in order of career earnings? I'll tell you how many wins they've had. So. Uh, Patton Kazaya has had two PGA Tour victories. Yes. Scott Stallings has had three. Daniel Berger's had four. And Charles Schwartzel has had two. Can you put them in order of... Oh, I'll be happy if I get two in the right order here. Okay. Because I think giving me wins alone is misleading. It doesn't okay. Do you want me to tell you what the wins are? Uh, I'd probably prefer tenure on tour. That's probably because, you know, how, how many – they might have only had two wins, but they might have racked up 25 top tens. That's where they're earning their money. So tenure on tour. No, I don't, I don't want any other information. I'm going okay, to have a crack. Good. I'm going to say uh, Burger one. Correct. Kazaya two. Negative. Schwartzel too? Yes. And he's only just behind. So Berger, 20.9 million. Yeah. Charles Schwartzel, 19.3. So well Oof. done. Uh, Stallings, three? Yeah. Kazai, four. Yeah. Well done. Okay. I'm pretty happy with that. He's got Stallings, 12.8. Patton Kazai, 9.5. Okay. So... I'm really out. <laughs> well done, mate. You know, you've definitely improved on this game because when we started, I mean, JC. Oh, I guess yeah. as well. It was tough. Led me to consider giving up 
my co-hosting role, to be honest. Uh, moving on, Dreads, T7, uh, two players there, Troy Merritt, Joseph uh, Brandler, uh, both at 19 under. Uh, nothing jumps out at me other than to say um, we often talk about um, growth of the game. Uh, we've spoken a lot about how good it is to see um, Hideki Matsuyama and KH Lee win in, in terms of being a, um, I suppose, a light post for young Asian boys and girls growing up the strength of the Asian um, community on the LPGA tour. Joseph Bramlett is one of uh, only a handful of players of color on the PGA tour. Uh, and in the, I suppose, in the essence of you can't be what you can't see, I think it's fantastic to see Joseph Bramlett, a name we don't often see too high on leaderboards, finish at T7 uh, because mm. I think what it does um, for the future of the game uh, in a community um, that hasn't, really been welcomed with open arms in any way, shape, or form to golf uh, outside of Tiger. I think it's excellent to see someone like Joseph Bramlett play well, um, you know, on a, on a highly televised event. Yeah. No, well put. Well, well, well put. Moving down, uh, T9, uh, Jonathan Vegas, Hook'em Horns. He's an alumni of the University of Texas. Seamus Power, Doc Redman, and another top 10 Druid star. For Jordan Spieth. Let's not worry about the fact that he was there and thereabouts um, with a first round of 63. Really uh, shot himself right into contention after the first round, and I got a little bit excited again. Just concentrate on the fact that it's another top 10 for Jordan Spieth, which when you think about the context of how he's been since, I suppose, the return of golf, I think that's where we're probably drawing the line of demarcation for his uh, you know, his return to form, uh, seven top 10 finishes for the year now mm. is uh, is quite quite incredible. Um, well, he's, he's back. Mm. Well, yeah, I, th- I don't think there's any doubt about that now. Yeah. I think we're, uh, you know, realistically, and I, I'd like to think that he's saving himself for Kiowa because it was a little disappointing given how he played on Thursday. But shit, I don't know if you saw um, whether it was the 55-foot eagle he drained on, 50, uh, on 18. Mm. On Thursday, or I don't know if he's sure. I can't remember the name. But I can't remember which number hole it was. Um, but the shot out of the rough with it's either either a hybrid or like a five wood. Incredible mm. on on Thursday um, to put it within six feet from the position he was. He had uh, you know, the caddy Grella in his ear trying to talk him out of it, and as is often the case, I saw a great tweet uh, which I really empathised with. Was a, I vibed big time with this tweet. It was essentially someone saying that um, I think it was Dylan DeChair who writes for golf.com saying that he's convinced half the time Greller is just being the antithesis of what Jordan Spieth is thinking to spur mm. him on and try and get him to prove him wrong. Mm. That he's not, he's not in fact doesn't believe him. He's just doing it as a bit in order to piss Jordan off. So he'll be that determined to prove him wrong. And I really, I'm, I'm convinced that's half the time as well. And I really vibe with that take. I gen- genuinely appreciate it. This shot, Grella was like, essentially, without saying it, you're kidding yourself. There's no way you get that underneath the ball uh, in no, order to it. get it close and absolute money. Yeah, I think the the only takeaway that I had, and I put it down to the weather today, was that he started two shots off the lead today and finished seven shots behind the winner. Um, who And it, no one can convince me otherwise that KH Lee is a better golfer than Jordan Spieth. Um, just would have liked to see a little bit more from him today, but I'm happy to put it down to the weather and move on to Kiwa, where I think he's got a very, very good chance. 
Well, I mean, I said it was a disappointing 70 from Sam Burns. Um, mm. Jordan had a 71 today. Mm. So, yeah. In a position to go on and win the tournament and uh, and limped out the back door, unfortunately. But, but yeah, I, I think mean, the thing we've, sorry to cut you off, the, the no, thing no. I think we've speaks rounds, which is what I've, you know, what we've seen in previous tournaments when he was perhaps at his lows was that he was racking up multiple big scores and then he'd have an eagle and then he'd have a birdie. What he was, what he's done in the past three to four months particularly has been he's eliminated those big double bogeys and big triple Mm. bogeys out of his game. Whereas now, you know, I mean, you look at on Friday where he had a 70 and he had one bogey and three, three birdies. I mean, today, uh, two bogeys, three birdies. So mm. we're not. Uh, yes, it's you'd obviously love to see him counter those bogeys, but there's no no one's perfect. There's going to be bogeys throughout a uh, a golf tournament. It's it's very very encouraging to see him remove that out of his game. That big, you know, the the double, the triple, the quad bogey that we've seen, um, which has been ultimately what's been the difference between him finishing in the top ten and him not. So I think all signs are positive at the moment for for Jordan Spieth. Completely agree, Drewster. Um, did anyone else? I've got a few more questions around this tournament, but uh, mm. I suppose in terms of performance alone, the leaderboard, did anyone else jump out to you this week? No, just shout out to the Aussies. I mean, Mark Leishman, T21. I mean, one of the great images of um, of the PGA Tour this year, him with his hat on backwards putting because the rain was just absolutely pissing off. He finished at T21 at 15. And, uh, but there wasn't, wasn't really anyone else. I mean, it, it's a bit of a... I don't know. It felt like a weird tournament. I mean, maybe T55, Bryson DeChambeau. Um, I know we had a question here. He finished at 10 under as I pull the question up here uh, from Dane M. Study. When does the Bryson distance hype die off? It's a bit irrelevant when he fails to birdie them. Um, do you want to take that and then I can jump in with my thoughts? We'll interrupt the pod just there to bring you an important message from our friends at Future Golf. Australia's largest golfing community for younger players, providing access to some of the very best courses in the country. Your membership includes free rounds, over 100 discounted green fees Australia-wide, a free pro lesson, an ex-golf simulator session, and of course, the all-important Golf Australia Handicap. The best part, though, is the price. 19th T listeners get a huge 20% off any future golf membership with the promo code the 19th T. So if you're looking for a place to play without the jacket and tie, Look no further than our great mates at Future Golf. Head to futuregolf.com.au forward slash join and don't forget to use the 19th T promo code for a huge 20% off. Future Golf, play your way. Uh, I think it has mm. started to. I don't, I don't think it's a question of when. I, I, I think it has mm. started to because there was, a, there was a drive that the PGA Tour uh, handle on Twitter was, was pumping I think it was a 360-yard carry. Mm. Uh, I can't remember which hole it was. A further 20 to 25 yards a roll. And he did that a couple of days in a row. He still only finished 10 under. I mean, five under missed the cut. He's not that far off the bottom, no. to be honest. So we all – the natural conclusion here, Druids, was if he could gain the extra 20 to 30 yards and he could keep it on the fairway, that – that was the cheat code. He would just win tournament after tournament after tournament after tournament. Uh, and obviously he, came, obviously he came out and he won. Uh, won a major no less, but I just don't know. Like I, it, it's, it's fizzled well and truly. Like 
it's not really making all that much difference, yeah. which by extension, this is probably a different podcast altogether. I wonder if, does that mean that we all overreacted? Does that yeah, mean that think- we overreacted to the takes around rollbacks? Well, I don't think it's uh, it's an overreaction about the rollback, right? Because I think that that's, I think it's a separate thing in my head mm-hmm. is what Bryson's done. And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole again, but it's kind of like, I agree with you. The hype's definitely died down, but that's just because he's not winning, right? Mm-hmm. When he's winning and when he's playing well. I mean, before this week, coming, in, coming into this week, he had finished in the top 10, three of his last five tournaments. Finished first at the Arnold Palmer, won that T3 at the Players and T9 at the Wells Fargo. So he's he was playing good golf, but the the hype dies down when he's not playing well. And when the when he comes out and wins again, and I say when because you know he's won twice this season already, it's it, we're going to jump back on back on him again and say, oh fuck, the distance needs we need to get onto the distance. Like I think we've either yeah. either got to continue on this push of the rollback needs to happen and, you know, Bryson's a tool for everything that he does on social media, or we just kind of got to leave it now and just accept that this is where we're at. In my, in my head, that's where we're at. I mean, ultimately I think you and I are probably in two, I think we have two similar lines of thinking, but we're probably in two different camps. I think you're probably a little bit stronger on it. I kind of don't really care all that much. Um, I think, you know, the growth of the game is, is really exciting and, you know, I'm not so fussed as to what the the um, the distance looks like, but I certainly understand what it's how it's affecting the game. Um, mm. So yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. I think uh, I think it's died down because he hasn't he hasn't won right, and as soon as he won, yeah, as soon as he wins again, it's gonna the comments are gonna pop back up. I think it's I think it's very much a matter of tall poppy syndrome in a lot of cases, and he doesn't help himself because of the shitty posts on social media. No, no, I think I'd he's like his own worst th- enemy at times. Yeah, I'd like to say that a lot of it is self-inflicted. But yeah, so you know. my question, um, so I stumbled across a bit of a um, Twitter tete-a-tete today um, between a few Australian golf personalities. Uh, no, Nick, Nick, Nick Ahern, hmm. um, previous guest on Nineteenth Tee, fantastic conversation. If you haven't heard, um, go back and listen to that episode. He was he was excellent, Nick Ahern. Um, he retweeted um, that tweet that I was mentioning, the PGA Tour pumping up this 360-yard carry. Mm. And essentially, I think, I, not verbatim, don't quote me, but it was like, this will be the norm in 10 years or something along those lines. Mm. Uh, Travis Smythe, who's a current Australian player, mm-hmm. um, plies his trade on um, a number of different tours uh, around the world. I think he's currently over in the States as it happens. We've had a dealing with Travis. Yeah, looking to get him on the, the podcast, hopefully in the near future. Uh, he he kind of jumped back down Nick Ahern's throat uh, and saying, <laughs> use the phrase butthurt a lot, which I think has become a lot more prominent. I don't really understand it, to be frank, but I've seen it a lot more. It's gaining prevalence. It's being used an be, awful lot. Be very careful. Yeah, so Travis was using that um, liberally. In, in his conversation back with Nick Ahern. Then Michael Clayton jumped in. Clayton's can't help himself. Whenever there's a conversation about distance, Clayton's going to jump in there and have his two cents. And Travis had the last word, but I think he kind of proved maybe unintentionally their point. And he said, you know, if we roll back the ball, Bryson will still be smoking it past everyone else. Mm. That's kind of the point. So 
now I'm confused as to whether everyone's problem is with Bryson or whether it's with the fact that the ball's going 360 yards because it doesn't matter if the ball is rolled back. Bryson will still be driving it further than everybody else. So no one should really have a problem with the ball being rolled back. Do, do, do I make sense? Yeah, no, you do. And I think I think this is where I've probably struggled to put my thoughts into genuine coherent sentences. And that's mm. why I host a golf podcast because I can ramble. But the uh, uh, my issue isn't so much with the distance, right? Like mm. ultimately I don't, I don't, I don't love it. Like I, don't get me wrong. I don't love it, but I, I don't really care that much. My issue is more with Bryson as a person. Like, he seems like a, a a very nice guy, but just the stuff that he puts on social media isn't the stuff that resonates with me as a, as a content consumer. Mm. I think that's where I get frustrated with Bryce. And like ultimately, the driving and stuff doesn't rile me up because I've seen that it's not it doesn't correlate to a radical change to the game. He's won twice this year. Fantastic. It's been, and one of them has been a major hit and he's been very, very consistent. I mean, he's currently 172nd for driving accuracy percentage. Mm. I know that that correlates to a much easier shot. You know, it's easy to hit a, a pitching wedge out of the rough when you're bombing at 322 yards. Yeah. But like I say, we come back to my point is that someone like Rory McElroy, right? He's second in driving distance on 318.8 yards. So he's 3.2 yards shorter on average than Bryson DeChambeau, who doesn't cop as much as, as even a half the shit that we give Bryson. Mm. We give Rory shit because he can't convert on a Sunday. Mm. So I think that's where my, I also think we don't give Rory shit. Sorry to interrupt. I also don't think we give Rory shit because Rory didn't make, a public exhibition about his six to eight month body transformation exactly. all in the pursuit of length. Exactly. We've exactly gone right. through this whole process with Bryson. We followed the journey. We've all had a front row seat and what's it got him an extra three or four yards on average, than the next best person. So yeah. yeah, it's got him these unicorn moments of carrying a drive 360 yards. And yes, it's, you know, it's, it's get, gets the crowd up and about, you know, the Arnold Palmer, when he drove the lake, you know, that was a, that was an iconic moment in this journey. I think I think we said it at the time. I think the reaction that he got to that and his ability to do that in his mind probably justified the entire action. Mm. My question is, and I keep coming back to, I see no ongoing long-term benefit to the game of balls carrying 360 yards off the tee because we're only going to have to build courses longer, and I guarantee you, the reason he doesn't win more often, Roods, is he's inconsistent with the other parts of his game, Correct. particularly his putting. Correct. So he's putting himself uh, you know, closer to the hole. More often than not, he hits a good second shot. He cannot convert with the putter more than 50% of the time. I guarantee you if you get a guy that is 10 to 15% shorter than Bryson but a 30% better putter, then we're going to have a serious conversation about distance because they are going to convert on a far more regular basis than Bryson. And the next wave of kids coming through are all going to chase distance because they've seen what a difference it makes in the positions that it puts him in. So I keep coming back to, for me, for you, um, for a lot of people, I don't necessarily see the benefit of 360-yard carries off the tee. And so I'm convinced that the reason the tour aren't doing anything about it is they're not interested in the thoughts of the current fan. This is not who it's for. 
It's for all those other people that his journey has engaged. It's for all those mm. people who are now talking about golf that weren't previously. It's for all those people that are watching just to see how far Bryson hits the ball. That's the reason they don't want to roll it back mm. because they've opened themselves up to an entirely new market. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really, really interesting. And, I, and you know what? I, t- I take Travis Smart's point where, um, where he's talking about uh, players serving faster in tennis is exciting. I mean, you get back to Andy Roddick. Andy Roddick was an incredibly successful tennis player, but what do you remember Andy Roddick for? I remember him because he was able to serve at 230-something Ks an hour. John Eisner is, is similar. I think there's – and it's a PR piece, right? Like, ultimately – and I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Like, ultimately, the, the tour doesn't care. No. The, the, it's going to be – it's the golfing purist in you and I that go, oh, geez, this is shit to watch. We don't want to watch people hit a massive drive down the fairway and then have a pitching wedge into every single hole. That that to us isn't interesting, and, and I'm definitely in that boat. But ultimately, at the same time, he hasn't changed the game. No. Like, he, he's, he's hitting the ball four yards on average further than the next best person, which is Rory McIlroy. Mm. Like... You know, it, it, what he's done from a PR perspective for the tour is unreal. What he's done for his own brand is unreal. He's managed to um, he's managed to build a, a huge legion of followings and he's able to have wonderful partnerships for himself with Bose and, and Bentley and all of these sort of guys. But I couldn't tell you who any other individual player sponsors are because he's built this brand reputation around him. And it's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I think the hype's definitely, well, getting back to the original question, I think the hype's definitely worn up off because he's not winning, but we'll sit here and have this conversation in, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, whenever it is that he wins again, it might be next week, but yeah, it's, it, it is fascinating. I think it's just, and, you know, probably in closing your honor, I think there's been, you know, cause it was so public. I think that was the part that, you know, you, you mentioned that, really hit the nail on the head he was so public and he said i'm going to put on weight and i'm going to i'm going to hit the ball further and you know that's no different to any other sport like it's no different to anyone in cricket wanting to put on a bit of extra weight to bowl 10ks faster or work in the nets and get more flexible to get 10ks faster the top 10 list of driving distance i mean shit if i didn't have it up in front of me i couldn't i wouldn't I would have no idea that Wyndham Clark is the fourth longest hitter on tour. Will Gordon at five, Luke List at seven, Wacken Neiman at eight. Mm. Dustin Johnson's at nine. Like that's that's insane. Mm. So yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating. I think you know. I think listeners to this podcast will probably know that you and I are probably in the same boat. Um, but just I, at opposite ends of the boat. Yeah, <laughs> we're in the same boat. We're just not. We're just not at the same yeah. end of the boat. All I'll say is this. Uh, uh, well, I'll say two things. Thanks, um, Dane M. Sutty, for sending us off on a tangent that we certainly didn't anticipate talking about this evening. You made a comment uh, a minute or two ago. He hasn't changed the game. Uh, not yet. I think no. we're far too early in the experiment. You bear in mind how long it took for Tiger to change the game. He changed it immediately with his consistent success. But that generation of players who, which sounds weird when we talk about it in the context of Bryson, but there are a generation of players who chase distance comparative to what it used to be like off the back of Tiger Woods. That is that generation that we see coming through in McElroy, in Thomas, in mm. Spieth, in mm. Fowler. That's the generation that grew up on Tiger. And it took 10, 12 years for that generation to come through. So, yeah, we haven't, he hasn't changed the game yet. No. 
Um, there's nothing to say that unless something is done in the interim, that in 10, 12 years' time, 360 yard Ks off the tier will be, will be the norm per Nick O'Han's point. Mm. It's, good. it's a good conversation. Mm. Um, I think, uh, yeah, last comment is I think that most golf fans are probably in in the same boat on all mm. of this. And ultimately, I don't think people are necessarily going to be that fussed about it, right? No. Like it's going to happen and we're going to watch three or four tournaments go, oh, my God, what a conversation starter. And then we're just going to get on with analysing the game again. So anyway, good good question from Dan M. Sadie. We'll be here all night if we don't. Uh, Drew, so you mentioned Mark Leach from the few other Aussies in uh, the field. Cam Percy finished in 70th. Um, Rain Gibson missed the cut, as did Aaron Badley. Um Greg Chalmers also missed the cut. I just want to, as did John Senden, I just want to have a quick mention of Jason Day. So Jason Day missed the cut at five under. As I said, he missed the cut on the number. Mm. Six six under was the, the cut line this week, which speaks volumes, I think, of the quality of the course. Um, TBC Craig Ranch, not the uh, the most difficult of challenges for PGA Tour professionals. Um, I don't know if you saw comments by Jason Day around the US Open. Did you catch this, Drew's? Yes, I did. Yep. Yeah, so not currently qualified uh, no. for the US Open. Was asked about it uh, pre-tournament at the Byron Nelson. Admitted that he wasn't aware that that was the case and that it had been some time that he hadn't automatically qualified for a major tournament. He hadn't been in a position to think about what he would do for some time due to the fact that um, his qualification had been automatic for as long as he could remember. But suggested that unless his performances across the next few tournaments um, warranted automatic selection, which they'd have to be pretty shit hot after another miscut this week, mm-hmm. that he wouldn't uh, be participating in Monday qualifying uh, for the US Open. When pressed further, he admitted that he in fact has a conflicting sponsor appearance and engagement with NetJets, and mm-hmm. that's what would be preventing him from participating in Monday qualifying. Which is the um, stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. 30, 30 seconds, because I don't want to spend too long on this, but just, just your immediate reaction to that. The stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Mm. Done. I'll, I'll warrant my other time back to you. Secede your time. Yeah. Um, pretty pretty piss poor, I it's thought, from Jason. It's a Brutally disgrace. Um, to, to cite a conflicting sponsor arrangement with NetJets as to the reason why you couldn't be asked turning up to Monday qualifying, if in fact you don't qualify automatically, was, uh, yeah, yeah, pretty piss poor, I thought. Definitely. Okay, just a few other things out of um, this tournament, Drudes, before we move on. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama was his first start since winning uh, the Masters. Uh, didn't set the world on fire, did our uh, reigning Masters champion. I'm just scrolling back down the leaderboard to find... Hideki, T39 at 12 under. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to mention John Rahm. Uh, okay. Finished in a tie for 34th at 13 under. So not mentioning him um, due to his performance across the weekend. Don't know if you caught, he played the first two days with Sun Kang. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sun Kang, of course, uh, quite the reputation. He was embroiled in a, um, a cheating or alleged cheating scandal with Joel Damon a few years ago where uh, play with Joel Damon. Joel Damon um, outright accused him of advancing his position up the fairway um, when a t- when an errant tee shot went missing. Uh, Joel Damon called him a cheater on Twitter. Um, 
lit the town up that night and woke up to a series of uh, text messages and direct messages from the PGA Tour saying he called the game into disrepute. It was fantastic. It was excellent. Um, You know, classic PGA Tour to punish the guy who was just being honest rather than punish the guy who cheated. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So Sun Kane carries this around um, with him, this reputation, and I think more broadly is just not a very well-liked player amongst his peers, not least of which for his alleged um, cutting of corners. He played the first two days with John Rahm. I don't know if you saw this, but um, the cameras picked up what, um, as per reporting out of the tournament, appears to now be a long-held habit of Sun Kang of getting in the eye line of his playing partner when putting. Mm. So I'm going to try, this is not television, so I'm going to try and describe this as best I can for those who might have missed. There's a video flying around from Thursday about a 15 to 20 second clip of a video of John Rahm standing over a putt. So he's about to putt. Um, Sun Kang is not in the line between Rahm and the hole, but if you can imagine standing over the putt and if you were to look up uh, and look directly uh, your eye line away from the hole, does that make sense? Am I explaining that correctly, yep. Drew? Yep, yep. Sun Kang is standing the best part of eight to 10 feet away from John Rahm, practicing his own swing. So not behind him, uh, not uh, not, not not adjacent to him, directly in his line and close enough for Ram to feel his presence yep. without it being on top of him. Um, did that a couple of times on Thursday and then again on Friday, and I think it was halfway through the back nine, uh, John Ram cracked it. So pulled himself up from his putt and started to walk um, towards Sun Kang uh, verbally. Like you could see it on the camera. You couldn't hear it, but you could see he was quite um, indignant. Um, you know, he's got a reputation for being quite emotional, John Rahm, and he was having a fair go at Sun Kang. What we didn't see off the camera, subsequently it appears as though John Rahm's caddy had to be held back from a physical altercation, reportedly, Love with that. Sun Kang. Uh, I just wanted to say, <laughs> we often say that um, John uh, and his emotions get him into strife. I loved this. Uh, I loved him not waiting until after the round in the moment, calling it out because Sun Kang is a pest. Uh, I think he's a he's a stain on the game. Uh, I think he goes against the absolute grain of the essence of golf. It is and has been known broadly as a gentleman's game, uh, and he is he is the least bit integrous. Is Sun Kang and. I, watching the video on the clip out of Thursday uh, was disgraceful, and I'm glad that uh, and I fully, fully endorsed John Rahm uh, going after him, so to speak. Um, yeah. The behaviour repeated itself on Friday. Yes, no, I agree. I agree. Not, not often we side with John Rahm's angry side, but uh, yeah, we're we're with him on this one. Bruce, anything else jump out at you from the AT&T Byron Nelson? Pretty unforgettable tournament, really, in the scheme of things. It's it's buried. It's lost its relevance increasingly year after year. It's been shifted around the schedule, shifted around the course, and finds yep. itself the week before a major championship. It's always hard to get a little bit excited out of this. And I think were it not for KH Lee winning and the story that comes with that, it, it would have uh, well and truly fallen off a cliff in terms of relevance. Yeah, I agree. Um, one, a couple more. John Lyris uh, is, a, is an Aussie. Now, he missed the cut. He finished um, actually dead last uh, alongside Tyler Strafacci and Kevin Stadler. He Monday qualified in uh, with a six under uh, in the qualifiers, which was fantastic to see. So shout out to John. Um, congratulations. I'm sure you would have loved a better performance um, on the actual tournament, but uh, fantastic to, to see you Monday qualifying in. Yeah, I was just going to mention the, the schedule as well. I, I was looking back at this today just in preparation for tonight. I mean, rare that I ever pull up any sort of information, but 
I had just sort of thought about where we'd been recently in um, in the the tour. So we we came from the Masters at Georgia, and then we we just sort of jetted across to uh, Hilton Head in South Carolina, which isn't too far away. Mm. Then down in Louisiana, so we're still down in the south, not too far. Then back to Florida, so we, we're all sort of generally near or thereabouts you know la to uh sorry louisiana to florida is a little bit of a trek then back up to north carolina then over to texas and then this week we're going back to south carolina it just feels like we've we've just done circles like surely we could have put all the carolinas stuff together and made it a carolina swing like we do with other areas and then louisiana and texas would it not have made more more sense to go from the masters down to the valspar and then play the the um play the at and and then over to the zurich or something like that and then come over to the the carolinas in the lead up to the pga championship it was just bizarre looking at that today i don't know if anyone else has really thought about it so much but it was um it was a weird one to think we just zigs and zagged across the country very on brand for the tour yeah, it is. No, yeah, it is. it's worth i mean it's worth pointing out don't get me wrong but uh we won't be naive enough to think it'll change anytime soon no because it's the tour Cash is king. They follow the money. So the schedule has been completely rooted since the return of golf, let's be fair. And I empathise with them and their uh, ability to try and get back on their feet and play golf where it can be played. But, yeah, there's a lot of poor and illogical decisions when it comes to scheduling on the tour. Yeah, well, I just think like a lot of these tournaments, like I reckon for the last – since the Masters, we've come in here every Monday night and gone – Jesus, it's a bit of a nothing tournament, isn't it? I mean, particularly the, the Zurich. But every we, we've said it's oh, it's a victim of scheduling. Oh, it's a victim of you know whatever being between two majors. But they could have actually yes. made it something. I could have, could have, uh, and given yeah. you know, given it's named after a grade of the game. Yeah, it's uh, it's disappointing that it's treated with such a lack of respect as a tournament in general um, by the governing body. Correct. A quick break to hear from our good friends at Cobra Puma Golf, a leader in golf club innovation. They've unveiled the new King Tour Irons to expand their King family of player irons. The Tour Cavity back shape is manufactured using metal injection molding technology to deliver the most precise shaping with incredibly soft feel that better players desire. Building off the popularity of the King MIM wedges, Cobra is implying MIM technology to a full set of irons for the first time and reinventing the way premium irons are designed and manufactured. In addition to the MIM process, the new King Tour irons incorporate technologies that drive precision, forgiveness, and excellent feel in a player's cavity back iron. So if you're interested in feeling like, well, one of the best iron players on the tour and Ricky Fowler, look no further than the new Cobra King Tour irons with MIM technology. You can find more information at cobragolf.com.au and follow the great team at Cobra Puma Golf AU on Instagram. Moving on to the European Tour, Dreads. What a story this is. Did you catch this? 48-year-old. Yeah. Uh, Richard, Richard Bland. Bland oh, by name, not by nature. Quite a character, oh, as it turns oh, out. Uh, Dick Bland. Dicky. Uh, tricky Dicky. Uh, 478th time lucky, Dreadster. Mm, huge. Sunday, 66. 178th start on the European tour. Sunday, 66 from the 48-year-old to crack through for his first victory wins in a playoff mm. over Guido Migliozzi from your part of the world. Migliozzi. Um, 
sorry, did, we don't pronounce the G. Sorry, Migliozzi. Um, <laughs> My mum will be sitting there. Oh, sorry, sorry, Mrs. Trutz. Um, just an incredible story. I mean, we talk endlessly on this podcast about the the volume of great stories that this game produces, uh, and and this is a guy who had probably resigned himself to the fact that it wasn't going to happen. At mm. 48, the wave of young talent, uh, particularly on this tour in, in Europe, uh, you know, we've seen what Gary Kigo, the 21-year-old from South Africa, has done the last couple of weeks. Uh, he's a dime a dozen. Those players are coming out of their ears when, mm. around the world. Um, for 48-year-old Richard Bland to win on his 478th attempt and to drag it all the way to a playoff to do so, just an awesome, awesome story. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It was the only other one I, out of here I was going to mention was um, Eddie Pepperell. Now I'm just trying. I'm going back through our messages. Now I believe we were when were we talking about this? Was this Saturday night? I said yeah because I sent you a message that said Eduardo Molinari is leading on the European tour, and oh, then yeah. I mentioned that I was talking about that we were really hoping for Eddie to to get it done. Mm. I, I just get speed vibes. I think is what I said to you that I just get so scared every time he's in the lead. Uh, and sure enough, goes out and shoots a 73 and finishes in a tie for 11th place. Yeah, so. I think it's been incredibly generous. Eddie Pepperell to mention the same sentence as Jordan Spieth, but he's an incredibly likable guy. I he get the same has, vibes, though. When yeah. Every time he's over the ball, I'm just like, I get scared of what's going to happen. It's nervous. Like duck hooks, shanks, anything could happen. Yeah. Ball could spew anywhere. Probably more likely to do so when he's in contention. Then you know when he's shooting for a top twenty, he's a incredibly likable guy, but shit, he makes it hard on himself, and mm. it is it is difficult to watch. So, as you said, he limped into a tie for eleventh. Uh, um, Eduardo Molinari, interestingly, was in the lead, gave himself a great chance. Third round, sixty four, mm. uh, limped out the back in, in seventy one, in the fourth round. Another top ten for Eduardo, the forgotten Molinari. It's kind mm. of like what was the. Uh, I'm trying to remember the nickname. Uh, Mark War's nickname was Afghanistan, the Forgotten War. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is one of the all-time, all-time great nicknames. Yeah. Fuck, he's funny. Did you ever hear – sorry, this is a tangent, but he's also involved in one of the best sledges uh, I've ever been uh, – or well, not I've ever been involved in, I've ever read. It was an Ashes tour. I can't remember the batsman he was talking about. And uh, – <laughs> He came out to bat and Mark Wall said first slip must be Warney bowling or something. And he's like, in this like shit, not you again. You were barely good enough last tour, let alone to be fucking picked again. And the bloke turned around and he goes, it's probably right, Mark, but at least I'm the best batsman in my family. <laughs> it's brilliant. I have I have heard that. And that is, that is oh, outstanding. Just so good. So anyway, we, we digress. What's, uh, the, uh, what's the best nickname that you've heard? Afghanistan is is pretty good. Um, I also love uh, John Eels, the former Wallabies captain. His nickname was Nobody because Nobody's Perfect, Brilliant. Um, which is excellent. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to think. Um, Martin Afire, the famous English rugby league player, his name was Chariots. Chariots Afire. That's excellent. That's really good. Excellent. Yeah, it's a good one. What about you? I'm just trying to find. I have saved a. Facebook oh, article that had good. them, and there was some brilliant ones. My, one of my favourite ones was uh, a mate used to get. Um, well, this is this was a story. It's not a mate of mine, but used to get called Posty 
because he never oh, yeah. fucking delivers on Saturday. It's good. Like yeah. that. I like that a lot. When I can. When Look, I can. old pad here. I'm going to mention a few more names from yeah. the European Tour Go event, which was the Betfred British Masters, hosted by Danny Willett. So it would have been dull uh, at the Belfry in England. A course manicured within an inch of itself. Uh, so Richard Bland, the winner over Guido Migliozzi. As we mentioned, uh, Dean Burmester, the South African, another name jumps out at you there in a tie for six with Andy Sullivan. Burmester's form continues. Big shot Bob, Robbie McIntyre, your man, uh, was the highest-ranked player in the field. He finished alongside Eduardo Molinari and Callum Hill in a tie for eighth. Um, the jazz man, Jazz Janawatananand from uh, – is he from Thailand, Jazz? Mm-hmm. He is. Uh, he was the head of a group uh, that also included Eddie Pepperell, Renato Paratore, Reminds me of Adam Perore, the former New Zealand keeper. Matai Schwab, Danny oh, Willett, right. and Chris Wood in uh, in a tie for 11th. And in terms of the Australians, Minwoo Lee was the highest Aussie. Tie for 21 at six under. Scrolling down the list through names. Uh, I, I found know, the article if you want to stop reading. <laughs> Josh Geary, another Aussie. Tie for 62. Uh, Maverick Ancliffe missed the cut after finishing outright second last week on the European Tour. Uh, Jake McLeod, some worrying form continuing for Jake McLeod. Another missed cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wade Ormsby also missed the cut. A couple of former guests on this podcast. Uh, Jason Scrivener, uh, Scott Hand. Jesus, how's the field? There's 160 blokes in this field. That's all the Aussies. Uh, last because. couple missed the cut there as well. Drewster, you found the article. Yeah, a couple, a couple other nicknames. This is, this is the level that for people who haven't listened to this podcast, this is the level of maturity that I bring. Um, uh, knew a bloke called NASA because he was only good in space, which is quite a good one, I thought. Uh, a bloke was nicknamed New Shoes because he was always hard to wear. Um, there's a few here that I'm probably not going to read out, but uh, knew a bloke called Wax because he was always in your ear. Uh, we called another guy the Herald Sun because he always had a new issue every day. Um, the moth doesn't go home till the lights go off. Tail light because he isn't as bright as a headlight. Um, there was a guy called 18 months because he'd lost half, half of his ear year and a half <laughs> called a bloke biscuit for always crumbling under pressure <laughs> jelly slice because his head always went bright red but below that was a very pale shade of white some good stuff in here and then just one in here that has the most uh, most likes was uh, used to play with a bloke whose surname was Smith and we used to call him Smithy <laughs> It's just, <laughs> uh, it's good, just good, good content. Good stuff. Good anyway, stuff. You thought they were going to be actual players that had played and like. Yeah, no, that know. was just general nicknames, yeah, and that's that's the that's the type of cutting edge content you get when you tune into the nineteenth tee podcast. People week can in, take that to their footy club. Week out, uh, Drewster. A few more bits and bobs from around the world. Mm. The Knoxville Open on the Corn Ferry Tour was one by Grayson Sig, uh, but I wanted to mention it because Harrison Endicott continues his outrageous form mm. on the Corn Ferry Tour. So tied for fourth, another top 10 finish for Harrison Endicott. I think uh, just reading here a piece from our man, uh, Tony Wiebeck, a uh, second consecutive 565 on Friday and a Saturday 66 had Endicott five shots off the lead heading into the final round. He's two under 68, not enough to keep pace with Grayson Sig, but good enough to be the best Aussie performer of the week. 
the only Aussie to finish in the top 10 on any of the world tours this weekend. And now jettisons himself a further 16 spots up the points list on the Corn Ferry Tour to 61st, bearing in mind that the top 75 qualify for the Corn Ferry Tour finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the top 25 at the end of the finals get their card. So he is comfortably now in qualification for the final three events of the year. And you would think based on current form, it would be uh, it would be very surprising if we didn't see him contesting the Corn Ferry Tour finals uh, looking for his PGA Tour card. So another good weekend for Harrison Endicott, which is awesome to see. Yeah, that's exactly right. He's... Uh... He's in a nice little bit of form, and, and hopefully that can continue uh, as they get into the Corn Ferry, Corn Ferry Tour Finals. Fantastic, uh, fantastic stat there. He was the only one to finish inside the top 10. Drew, uh, the only other one that, that we had, and I'm going to let you take the lead on this because the NCAA is probably your more your bag than mine. Um, but speaking of bag, they're getting bagged unceremoniously this week, and rightfully so by the broader golfing community. Talk us through the controversy uh, surrounding the uh, NCAA regionals for women's golf in America yes. across the weekend. Yeah, so down in Baton Rouge, down in, in Louisiana, uh, the NCAA women's golf regional. So for, for many uh, teams and players, this is the final event of the year. Um, and uh, given what COVID has thrown up, a lot of a lot of players finishing uh, their college careers on, on very much a low, and this was certainly in that. So... Um, I'm sure people might have seen the video of the, uh, I don't actually know which staff member it was, but came out of the uh, the clubhouse standing on the steps, a la, I don't even know who that uh, Australian Prime Minister was. Was it Gough Whitlam that came out and stood on the steps at some point and said something about yeah, the Queen? Um, yeah, God, God save the Queen because nothing will save the Governor General. That was yeah. Gough. Yeah, okay, nice. that's good Good history from me. Um Got 50% 50 of it right. Um, So he came out, stood on the steps and said that the course conditions were playable, but not playable at a championship level. Um, Now, this is just absurd. It is so on brand with the NCAA, uh, who are an organisation that I've been immensely critical of since I um, had a fairly good understanding of it and spending some time in the US. But it is just absurd so there are some golfers in this uh group of people who uh their careers are now finished their college careers are now finished they'll be just sort of left to go off to their own devices um it it was just a joke they i'm not sure how much work they actually put in where were the ground staff what were they doing um were there any other plans put in place was there another course that we could have moved the tournament to but in some good news, and and we aren't. Uh, I mean, you know, we're we're very respectful of the work that the team at Barstool do in the four play pod, but it's probably not necessarily our cup of tea, Marshy. But uh, they have actually um, done a, a mountain of work this week. To I think it's called the Let Them Play um, Championship or Open or something, where they've invited all the schools and the players to to actually head over to Arizona, I believe, uh, and they will be able to. Um, they'll be able to, to play this weekend. It won't be part of the regionals, obviously, but um, yeah, it's good to see that they'll be able to play at least um, this week. So the top six teams from last week just qualified automatically into the finals, which is a, um, yeah, which is a bit of a shit show really. And, and, you know, as I mentioned, just so on brand for the NCAA, it was pretty, pretty disgusting to be honest. It's, I, I don't even know what that means. What, what does it mean that it's playable 
but not to championship standard. Shit, at TBC Craig Ranch, the AT&T Byron Nelson, we had lift clean in place. Yeah. And preferred lies for the last three days. Well, we had four days squeegeeing someone's line as they were yeah. playing the tournament. What, what, what does that even mean, not to championship standard? Now, the cynic, Druids, the cynic in me says that, uh, and you have the NCAA men's regionals coming up in about four or five days' time. The cynic in me says that we would have found a way if it was the men playing. Yeah, we would. Um, and the absolute truth in me says, uh, this is not a speculation and this is not cynical. This is just fact that if this was NCAA football or NCAA basketball, a sport that actually made the NCAA money, you bet your bottom dollar that that would have gone ahead. Yeah. The fact that they were so callous in disregarding a lot of these uh, young women's op- final opportunities to represent their college and probably the final time they'll pick up a golf club in terms of high-level competitive golf, they were so willing and found it so easy to just rule it out. You had other courses in the region, TPC courses. I saw them tweeting at the NCAA, uh, we're open for business, come down. Yeah. yeah. Um, just transfer the tournament across, weren't willing. Uh, I saw other things like another point that was made that they called it, I think, by 9 or 10 a.m. every day, whereas on the PGA Tour, you hang around until 3 or 4 p.m. before they call the day because they'll squeeze anything in. Mm. Any, Even if it's nine holes, they'll get it in in order to get play moving. The willingness of the NCAA to just pack up shop yeah. and and treat these young women, you know, like, like dirt, really. It's yeah. just abhorrent. Like it was it's disgusting. It's a joke. It's an utter joke, but so... On brand with what the NCAA absolutely is about, unfortunately. Absolutely, uh, Drewster. I know we had a couple of other questions uh, there. Uh, one of which um, there's a great question from Dane M. Suddy. Would we ever consider uh, doing a live commentary or a live podcast of a final round of a of a PGA Tour or a major uh, event? A little bit like what uh, what Joe Rogan does, or there's a couple of examples in in the NRL of of different podcast mediums doing kind of like companion commentary mm. of sporting events. Uh, an excellent suggestion. Mm. I'm not going to rule it out. I think there's probably straddling either coast of the country. There's probably some logistic things to look at, um, but the wonders of Zoom, I think, have us well placed to look at. But thank you, Dave, for your question. It's certainly something we're exploring. More broadly, um, we will be looking at uh, doing something along the lines of a uh, 19th T listener survey very mm-hmm. soon. We want to seek your feedback. I mean, we're 130 odd episodes into this thing. We want to make sure that what we continue to do week in, week out is hitting the mark. Uh, so we're going to give you the opportunity to tell us what you want to hear more of, what you'd rather we didn't talk about. I'm tipping conversation about Bross and Deschambeau and length is going to be high up on that list. Um, whether there's any suggestions for some funky content or ideas that you might have for the broader 19th T community, we'll all be uh, open ears. So keep an eye out for that. That'll be launching shortly via our Instagram and Facebook channels. Um, there was also a question there, which we're going to hold over till the end of the week because it's specifically related to the PGA, uh, sorry, specifically related to the PGA championship. And we have our, as per every major week, we have our um, championship preview pod coming later in the week. So we're going to hold that question over until that episode, but it came from Ryan Murphy. Uh, and I want to call out big Rhino. He's a very passionate and loyal supporter of this uh, podcast and this program and this brand. And he's, he's had a pretty successful week uh, himself. He uh, works on the green staff at one of the very best courses in the country, Kingston Heath down on the sand belt in Melbourne. 
Uh, moved down there only in the last couple of months after um, doing his apprenticeship uh, for the majority of his apprenticeship up here at the Lakelands Club on the Gold Coast. And he's most recently, Drew's to have been awarded the Queensland Golf Course Apprentice of the Year Award. So a massive shout out to a very good mate of mine, one of my oldest friends, Ryan Murphy, who, uh, you know, incredibly passionate about his job and pivoted, uh, you know, to a new career not so long ago and is absolutely um, dove into it and, and made every post a winner. So now a finalist by virtue of winning the Queensland Award in the Australian Sports Turf Managers Association Graduate of the Year Award, which is coming up in June. So we'll keep our eyes peeled to see if Rhino gets across the line for that one. But uh, as I said, making every post a winner has made the move down to one of the best courses in the country and is absolutely loving his time there at Kingston Heath and just thought he deserved, uh, given his support of this podcast, a little bit of a congratulations and a shout out on his award. Absolutely. Well done, Ryan. Fantastic to see. Great Instagram too. If people want to go follow him, geez, he posts some bloody nice content on social media. Yeah, he loves a he loves, and I always wake up to it because obviously um, working on the green stuff there, he's up a lot earlier than I am. Loves an early morning sunrise shot over any one of the holes at uh, Kingston Heath. He generally swaps it up each and every morning. Uh, loves it, does does Rhino. So yeah, throw him a follow on the on the gram if you're into your, your golf porn, so to speak. Yes. That'll probably do us, Drudes. It will. Um, as I mentioned, the PGA Championship preview pod coming up later in the week. Uh, we'll do our traditional uh, who will win, won't win, want to win, bit of value, um, take a look at what is a fantastic course at Kiowa, the Ocean Course, and much, much more. So make sure you tune in for that, and we will be back, of course, next Monday evening, uh, wrapping up our second major of the year. 